Good afternoon. And again, uh, happy Sabbath, Feliz Sabado, or whatever. <laughs> We're glad you're here. And some, some are not, some are not here yet. They, uh, the conversations continue. <laughs> But we're going to get started, and, and we're, we're going to start by just reflecting a little bit on Ted Wilson's presentation this morning. Many of the things that he said, we wanted to say to you in the leadership training, <clears throat> because we feel that you are going to go out <clears throat> and train leaders as well. And so some of the material that he presented, we feel, uh, is the type of material that you should present also. And I would highly recommend that if there is a DVD or if you can get it off of the, um, the uh, health, uh, let's see, it would be under the North American Division Health Department or whatever, you probably can get so I get uh, or be able to listen to what Ted Wilson, President Ted Wilson, said. It's extremely important that our church members are aware. Can you hear? If you type in uh, Ted Wilson, Mission to the Cities, you can listen to it on YouTube as well. His Mission to the Cities that he referred to, his whole sermon. Uh, mission, mission to the Cities. Mission to the Cities. Okay, John, would you please write that down? Mission to the Cities by Ted Wilson. And, and you can get it on YouTube as well. Yeah, that is great. That is really great because you could even show it to, to your people. Yeah, you can show it, which is really exciting. And uh, I just wanted to tell you that <clears throat> Donna... Jackson, the wife of the president, uh, approached me at the North, uh, North American Ministry uh, Conference that we just had here in, in Orlando. And she was rushing out from the meetings. She quickly wrote her name on a check and said to me that there, that the North America, I mean, New York City, 2013 evangelism is going to be touching all over New York, New Jersey, other areas. And, and she, she gave me a check. She says, I want you to give this material, your Homes of Hope material, to one of the very best women evangelists and, and wives of um, of." She's one of the best women evangelists. And she told me the name, and I, I've got to see her. I ask her, who is it? This, who is she? Because <laughs> I, I couldn't remember her name. She's, and she was rushing out, and her husband says, we gotta, we're going to miss it plain. <laughs> but anyway, she is extremely interested in our material for the, uh, this, the ministry that's going to be going on in New York City. And so we... We still want to perfect it and is uh, even more so. So uh, 
our books and materials will be made uh, available to you after sundown for anything that you would, you know, any of your mater these materials that you would like. They, they will be available. And uh, as you get them, if there are any other suggestions of things we can do, we're, we want to improve everything as much as possible. Now, uh, I think service is a really, really important part uh, in our churches. Uh, I, we have too many uh, people who sit in pews and don't do anything. And we're, we're from Andrews University Pioneer Memorial Church. Now, um, Dwight Nelson is our pastor. He'll get up and preach a most beautiful sermon on service and then, uh, he's, and then he makes a call. All of you who want to serve, everybody stands up. But then if you try to get somebody to do something, we're too busy. And uh, I don't know if that's true in your church. Are people too busy in your church too? Just too busy? You know, and I'm coming to the conclusion what's keeping some people too busy is um, texting, cell phones, computer games, a lot of internet, uh, surfing. Uh, there are just so many things that are occupying our minds, television, both ball games, and uh, just uh, lots of things that are occupying the minds of our uh, people. So it is time that uh, we learn to simplify our life, and in our one of our one of our um, one of our um, presentations is on uh, uh, family time, and we're just saying we need to simplify our life, and we have to learn how to choose what is important, what isn't important, so we can serve the Lord. We need to simplify our life so we can have time to be on God's team and, and join him. And, uh, you know, I guess I told you, but maybe I didn't. But when John and I started this ministry, and John and Wes and his brother, John's um, husband, John's brother, Russell Youngberg, who's now passed away. They were the originators uh, of our wind wellness. And uh, anyway, we, we uh, at the very beginning, I, we were impressed that the, the um, commission to us is go ye into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and, you know. And that is to go ye and uh, into all the world. Now, your world may be just around you, but somebody else's world may be 50 miles away from you. You can go to other places and minister in other places besides your little town. And I also have been impressed, uh, and, and Pastor Ted Wilson also brought, uh, brought out, and, uh, and uh, the things that he said are just all on my heart because I've been studying these too. And, Jesus went first to the little villages, little villages. What are the little villages around where you live? It's easier sometimes to get into the little villages than the bigger towns and cities. 
but we need to go to all the world, the little villages, the little towns, the big towns, the little cities, the big cities. And uh, uh, the Lord impressed us, <clears throat> I will bless you and you will be a blessing to the nations. And we, it's rather interesting, we, uh, we have, we started in Mexico with, well, we started in English, but the people in Mexico wanted it so badly, we got it and translated into Spanish, and then we got it into English, and then uh, back to Spanish. And, and now the material is in, in Chinese, it's in, some of it is in Arabic, some it's in uh, Czech, uh, uh, Slavic language, into, into the Romanian language, and not French yet, I'm so sorry. Uh, but it's going into many, many languages. And we are going to be traveling to different places, have been, will be, into different places in the world. So you, some of you may end up being invited to go to a different place. You do a real good job where you are in health wellness and health ministry, and you are going to go to the world. Now, you know, these two little ladies over here, <laughs> they started in Little Claire, Michigan, and a little town, they're both call porters, and here they are helping to minister here. And we need other people. We need other people like you. And I, I just hope that you're just not getting information for yourself. I just hope you're getting information for yourself to present. I hope you're getting information so that you will train other peoples, that you will start other teams doing this kind of ministry so that, that there will be, um, the message will go into our churches as well, but not just stay in our churches. We don't want to hide it under a bushel. We want it to go beyond and beyond and beyond like ripple, ripple, ripple and until it is truly all over the world. And that's our, our desire. And you can do it. And, and everything Ted Wilson said today is kind of what we're trying to do with wind wellness. We haven't gotten very far in the small, in, into the remedies, simple remedies. We, some, we will. But anyway, that's on my heart, and I had to just share it with you as you were coming in. Now, we're going to take a few minutes, and um, uh, would you two ladies pass these, uh, these uh, sheets out to everyone, please? There are, there are two sheets. There are two sheets. I, may I have the top one, this top one, because I've, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, okay. I've got one here already okay thank you they we didn't uh, we forgot to tell the people to collate them okay now what we're going to do at this time is let you think about service and the best place uh, Ellen White in the book Ministry of Healing pages 95 to 107 she wrote a lot about service uh, saved, uh, well, here I have saved to serve, and that's me. My life has been saved so I can serve. And, uh, but that's her title, too, I believe, in uh, Ministry of Healing or this. And here are uh, some statements that she says about service. And she says it's about service. And uh, I would like for you into about 
of four or of five people get together and read these texts and say, what is this saying to me? What is not to Sister Jones or whatever, but what are these statements saying to me on service? And because this is a leadership training, this is what you, you can keep these yourself and then uh, keep them yourself and then uh, do the same with your church members or, or, um, or your friends. You can do the very same with this. And we start uh, with Jesus here. And I'm just going to read the first uh, few here. He, Jesus, cannot be satisfied until all who will accept salvation are reclaimed and uh, reinstated in their holy privileges as his sons and daughters. When God blesses his children, it is not only for their own sake, but for the world's sake as he bestows his gift or his gifts on us, it is that we may multiply them by imparting. Every true disciple is born into the kingdom of God as missionaries. Who are you? Missionaries. You are missionaries, everyone. Every true disciple is born into the kingdom of God as missionaries, receivers, become givers. Receivers become givers. Okay, and then we go on. God calls on men and women to minister gladly to their fellow men, and we put in women, uh, and lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are what? White. They're white already for what? Harvest all ready to harvest in John 4:35, And then for the, uh, three years, disciples had before them the wonderful example of Jesus. When the time came for him to leave them, he gave them grace and what? Where did he get the power? From the Father. The, the Father gave him... Uh, when, uh, when uh, Jesus began his ministry, he gave power to, to Jesus, and that same power is given to each one of us. Okay, when the time came for him to leave them, uh, and that's right, when he le to leave them, he gave them grace and power to carry forward his work in his name. They were to shed abroad the light of his gospel of love and healing. So the disciples did what? Continued the work of Jesus. They continued the work of Jesus. And, Je uh, and Jesus, uh, the disciples are examples for us too, to continue this work of Jesus. And what was Jesus' work? Heal. To, teach, to teach and what? Heal. Heal. Healing was, he did more healing than he did teaching and preaching. So if we start with the medical missionary work uh, uh, and then we, we help people who are in need or discouraged or, or people who are depressed or people who are, who are uh, um, 
uh, having some physical problems, diabetes, or we can help them, we can bring healing to them, we, well, God can use us. But we have to teach people also how to uh, take, um, let's see, do their part in their own healing. God can touch everyone, but God requires that we also do our part in the healing process. Okay, through the Holy Spirit, he would be even nearer to them than when he walked visibly among men. The work which the disciples did, we also are to do. Every Christian is to be a what? A missionary. Now, I'm on the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I'm on the eighth bullet now. In sympathy and compassion, we are to minister to those in need of help, seeking with unselfish earnestness to lighten the woes of suffering humanity. All may find something to do. All of us can find something that we can do. Now, I know in Pam's church, we know that there are sometimes she, she isn't, uh, uh, she isn't able to do everything, but somebody markets, somebody opens their home, uh, somebody makes telephone calls, somebody does something, and it's all part of the ministry. And then millions upon millions of human beings in sickness and ignorance and sin have never so much as heard of Christ's love for them. Were our condition and theirs to be reversed, what would we desire them to do for us? If we didn't know Jesus, what would we want somebody else to do for us? Whatever ye would that men should do unto you, do ye even so to them. He who became a child of God should henceforth look upon him as a link in the chain let down to save the world one with christ in his plan of mercy going forth with him to seek and save the lost by doing medical missionary work you are doing helping people to live live longer healthier and happier but also you are helping them to find jesus and uh okay we were to find the hungry, clothe the naked, and comfort the suffering and the afflicted in the hovels of poverty, in the crowded alley of the great cities, and in every place where there are human hearts in need of consolation. We are to minister to the despairing and to inspire hope and uh, in hopelessness and one of our chapters, which Wes is going to touch, is on uh, hope. One of our chapters is on hope. And uh, we find everybody wants, everybody is hoping for something. And as in the very beginning chapter on hope, it says that we have there, there are about seven billion people on this earth. And everyone is hoping for something. Some are hoping to uh, be able to finish college. Some are hoping to 
uh, have a crust of bread in some Somalia. Some in prison are hoping that that they that uh, they will their needs will be made, uh, met or they will be getting out of jail. Senior citizens are hoping that they won't lose all their money, and you know everybody's hoping for something, and we want to help people who are hoping for something to help them according to their real needs. Anyway, here we says. Um, he, he became, uh, he who became a child of God should henceforth look upon himself as the link in the chain let down to save the world, one with Christ in his plan of mercy, going forth with him to seek and save the lost. We are to find the hungry and clothe them and all of that. Anyway, bring hope. We are to minister to despairing and to inspire hope in the hopeless. The missionary can not only relieve physical maladies, but we can lead the sinner to the great physician who can cleanse the soul from the uh, leprosy of sin. A company of believers may be poor, uneducated, and unknown, yet in Christ they may do a work in the, in the home, in the community, and even in the regions beyond whose result results shall be as far-reaching as eternity. And there are a few more. I, I'm just going to go quickly. John, how about you finish reading those for me? Sorry. I'll get it. We're on page two. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, Go ye in all the world and preach the gospel of every creature, the, the gospel commission. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world or of the age. With all who are seeking to minister in his name, he waits to cooperate. He is in the midst of us to heal and to bless if we will receive him. Now, notice all these are just quotes from Ministry Healing, pages 95 to 107. Okay, and here we have some uh, questions for the group, but I think I'm just going to open it up to all of you right now. Is, he, is a healing message part of God's method of preparing individuals for the kingdom of God? In which way is a healing message part of God's method? Are the kingdom of God in which way does someone have a comment on this here we are <laughs> I was gonna say I think that um, oh health um, we um, I do believe that the healing message is important because number one um, now, uh, this this is for the recording the people still need to hear you back here oh Oh, okay. What I was saying is that I do believe that um, the message, the um, health uh, message is important um, for the final events because number one, um, what we eat, as they say, you are what you eat. And Jesus is trying to shape our character, right? And um, in order for us to be able to 
be in tune with the Holy Spirit. Our minds have to be clear and focused, and we and and sometimes what we put in do affect will affect how we perceive things, how we act, how we move. So yes, I do believe overall it is important for the time that we're living in that we should take seriously and you know consider how we eat and the importance of following the guidelines that God has laid out for us through the spirit of prophecy. Thank you. Did someone else have, I see a hand back here. I was just going to mention that um, we tend to rightly focus on those who are giving um, care and treatment too, but the question um, is talking about preparing, preparing individuals for the kingdom of God. And I would also suggest that it has a lot to do with our preparation as well, because if we're to emulate the character of Christ, we're going to um, be looking like him character-wise when he returns, and a, a part of what he was doing was healing the sick. Amen. Well, that it's not a uh, little bit hard for me to... Uh, we need to copy the character of God to represent him to others for the end of time. Okay, uh, someone over here, here we have two or three hands, good. There's a place in uh, the Spirit of Prophecy, or several places, but that mention that we need to get rid of the garbage in front of the door of our heart. Until we do that, no matter how we eat, it's not going to be effective. We need to have our mind in the right relationship. Then the eating will take care of itself if we, if we eat the right way. And then we will have a mind that's open to the spirit of Christ and can move on into the kingdom and take people with us because they want what we've got. I, I, I like the positive standpoint that uh, if they see that we are benefiting by it, they'll be encouraged to want to do it too, won't they? What I have found in my own experience, and I really enjoyed hearing Molly this morning and Millie this afternoon, you are really teaching us that there's no such thing as old age. And we should not make excuses because I'll tell you the biggest excuses they're using today in our church, the young people, they don't like going out and doing the things that you've been doing for years, yeah. right? And so you're setting a wonderful example for us, and I want to let you know that I appreciate that. And I like what it says there. A company of believers may be poor and educated and unknown, yet in Christ they may do a work in the home and the community. I love that statement. And I just think, I don't know how, but I want to get a fire for the people in our area. I live in Canada, I live in Canada by the way. And it's cold up there, not like down here. And so sometimes it's pretty cold in the church too. And I just want to let you know that. And until we get on fire for God and start get out there, that's right. If we get out there and teach it, people want it. I've had the privilege of the year and a half to be teaching vegan in our city of St. John. And uh, the people that are coming there are so strict, I wouldn't want them to come to our potlucks. I'm not kidding you. And it's not a good thing. We're using too much junk in our food. And then these people are coming in, and they're telling us what we're missing. Thank you. Here we have one more. And uh, this, this is only recording in audio. And uh, 
You got to stand up and speak to the people, which uh, isn't referred. This is only for a tape recorder. This morning, in in the message that we, we heard from the president, I think he he made it made a point that there should be no distinction between the preaching and the healing. So I, I think that's a good approach we need to adopt. Pay pay enough attention to preaching as well as healing ministry in our mission work as we seek to reach out to folks who need the message of salvation. Amen. Thank you. To, to go over this yourself, but there we do have a, the prayer. Would you just all read that prayer? Usually what I do when I have leadership training, we have leadership training. We do this. We do it in groups of twos or threes or fours, and then we have them pray this prayer, but then they, they pray for each other. And I just wish we had time for that. Uh, if one will say, well, I want to do this. And the other one says, I want to do this. Then they pray for each other. Now we want, this is a, something that you can do in your leadership training. Pray for each other. This will not work without the power of the Holy Spirit. It will not work. Not, it will work a little bit, but not as great as it can be worked and we just know it's happening there in Claire let's just pray this prayer together and then we're Pam and you to come up and share okay let's read read together yeah read together read together Lord you have saved us to serve we are indeed thankful for your mercy teach us how to minister to others as you ministered to this earth to those with physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. You are the great medical evangelist, and we look to you for guidance as we serve our neighbors, friends, and new people who come into our lives. Holy Spirit, fill me, use me, empower me to minister for and with you. Impress me as to how I can help others who are in bondage and show me how to set them free. I want to do my part to arouse souls to take an interest in eternal realities. Lord, what would you have me to do? Holy Spirit, impress me of your path of service. Show me to whom I should minister. May the Holy Spirit bless you exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think and beyond your expectations in your service for the Lord as you reach out in your home of hope win wellness ministry okay if you can expand this you could take a whole Sunday morning with your team to go over it or with church members but anyway uh, use it in any way you desire and right now Pam and Al and uh, Marsha we've been uh, we've been um, uh, we've not given them all the time we expected. So here is your time to share, and here's a little deal. And I will put also on the computer some of these pictures. Yeah. Hi. I don't know if all of you were with us the last night, but um, we had an opportunity to, um, to tell you that our, 
our heart's desire for our church, we're personal ministries directors in our church, Marcia and I, that our heart's desire is that our, our churches are unified, sister, from Canada, and um, that each one feels the joy of winning a soul for Jesus. And uh, once you win one, you're, you know, you're just greedy. You would just want more. So um, we, um, we uh, started this project with the, with the thought that our church needs to be um, refor reformed and united. So we started with our, our church on focus first. And um, we, we looked at the logistics, the dynamics of our churches. We looked at where they live and um, how we could make small groups work in their area. And so we, we took our, our members in our minds with a map and said, okay, sister this, brother so-and-so, they live in this area. They are going to have a small group. We're going to have a small group in that area. And so-and-so and sister and brother so-and-so, they live in this area, so we will have a small group in that area. And it went on like that until we had seven areas. And then, sort of unbeknownst to them, <clears throat> we had a, an organizational meeting. Um, we had talked about Homes of Hope and talked about it and talked about it previously in our personal ministries time at church. And so we'd warned them that it was coming. <clears throat> then we invited everybody to stay after fellowship for this organizational meeting. And we put those teams at round tables. We set them together. And, um, and then we gave them a presentation of homes of, homes of Hope and Health and how it works. The DigiPack, we showed them the DigiPack, and uh, we got the, the, uh, the first one out, the PowerPoints program out. We put it in. We showed them how it works. Uh, we, we showed them all the, the materials that they would need, and as they're sitting there in their own little teams from their area, um, then we went around and we explained to them that um, out of each one of these teams, they would have to pick a leader, a speaker, um, someone to do refreshments, uh, someone to uh, um, be a greeter, and, and so forth. And, um, and it was great to watch them as they went to work, um, working on uh, their own teams and putting thoughts together and ideas. They got excited. And um, then we sort of dumped out our interest file, and we separated the interests into those areas. You know, somebody had come, this people had come to an evangelistic seminar. Um, these people had come to a non-smoking clinic. These were in a depression um, a seminar. These came from a health or a cooking school, um, community services. We used everything that we could think of, and we gave them their, their interests in, for their area. And so now their group becomes evangelistic. And so they went out, and we, we equipped them with things like... <clears throat> Um, invitations. Um, we showed them the, the track attacks that we usually take. We take this and it's a survey. And we'll lay these out so you can look at them. And the survey comes with one of our, um, with our little tracks. And we, what we did is we encouraged them. Now if somebody came to a cooking school, you know, obviously you're, you're not going to give them a great controversy. You know, you'll take them a, you'll take them a balance magazine. 
or you'll take them one of these little um, happiness for life uh, magazines. Um, your church in your area must have something comparable to the things that we have here. And, um, and so they, we went with them to their areas, knocking on doors, uh, talking to the people, teaching them how, and, um, and it was, it's been incredible to watch our church go to work. Instead of 20% of the people doing 80% of the, the work, we've got, there's almost 100% participation in our church. If they're not, uh, if they're not um, doing something in Homes of Hope, they're part of the prayer team. And so they're praying together. And um, so now we've got church members together with community members that they've invited and they have invested themselves in these people. If you don't invest yourself in them, if you don't spend time with the community, you know, and you're, with the people that are coming to your meetings, um, there's not a bond there. And, and they, it doesn't mean anything to you, you know? So you slip, you don't go to your meeting next week or, you know, you're, you know what I mean? You have to have a friendship evangelism thing going on. And that's what Homes of Hope does. And before, before they've had like four or five different Homes of Hope meetings and they have one a week, um, the people, the guests are asking, well, what church do you go to? And since we started um, less than a year ago, there have been seven baptisms. There's one come in by profession of faith. We've had three come in um, that were lost sheep that's come in and recommitted their lives to Jesus. And uh, there's been five, there are five that are preparing for baptism right now. And that's just within less than a year. And our, our church members, and, and we had to be very almost manipulative. I, I should apologize, but I'm not going to because you know, we had people that in our church that um, that needed to be mentored, people that were falling through the cracks, people that um, were complaining because they didn't have anything to do, um, so we gave them a job. And, and we'd strategically place these people in the home of hope that we thought would best suit their needs as far as growth and friendship. So we did this for our church so that they would grow. We're told that if, if uh, we're not unified, that the Holy Spirit will not be poured out in the measure and this fullness that needs to finish the work until our churches are unified. If we don't, we have to start with our churches. And it's fun, just make it fun. Um, if you live close, like in the United States, we'd you know, be happy to come and, and visit you and, and share with you and, and work with you to, to help you uh, with this. Um, Marsha, am I forgetting anything? Would you? Yes. Marcia, tell about the, the picnic, and you can tell them uh, maybe. Okay. Yes, there's the there's the picnic. Okay. We decided that in the summer that we would have a picnic and and invite every last Home of Hope's group to that picnic, so they could get unified together, know who was going, who else was going to the Homes of Hope, and this picture here just happens to be one of the groups that my husband and I have. So we have uh, on the left here, be beside me is Philip, and then Teresa, and then Patrick, my husband, and Richard, which is Teresa's husband. And Patrick, the one by my husband, is one of the ones that w was already a member of our church, but he was falling through the cracks. He didn't understand, you know, it seemed like we weren't reaching him. 
didn't know how to keep the Sabbath, still eating pork and meats that are unclean. So since then, he has started understanding, and he's growing, and he says, I, I love this. I just love to keep learning, and I want to keep going. So my husband and I take him to two and three Homes of Hope a week. He's very so, spiritual. Patrick yes. is growing so close to the Lord. And what we didn't know was he had trouble hearing. And we didn't know that. So he was struggling trying to, you know, trying to put it all together. But when you get into a group like a Homes of Hope and it's individualized and you find out the struggles and the needs and the hopes and the joys and things of each other um, in that group. And I'm sorry, I'm taking up your time. But... <laughs> Tell them about um, the Baptist. Tell them about the Baptist that are. We, there's a Baptist group that are teaching Baptists. Yes. Our message. Yes. Tell them about that. Which I think uh, the ones that were here, I mentioned before about Al and Terry Carey. And Al is the one that uh, met with my husband at the church, and my husband started proceeding to give him a Bible study. So hooked him into actually having a Homes of Hope at their house. They are Baptists. They live in Midland, Michigan, go to a big Baptist church. Before they even started the Homes of Hope, they came to church that Sabbath, that very Sabbath, because he believed that Saturday is the Sabbath. So now the first Homes of Hope they had, they invited a couple that were from their church that were also Baptists. And then my husband talked to me last night, and he said that Al told him that he invited another couple from their church. So there is six total Baptist couples. And then um, my husband told me a story that uh, the man, one of the men called Al and said that his son was really having a hard time. Al through this Homes of Hope, I have to say this, he has uh, sugar diabetes. But since he started eating healthy for two weeks now, his sugar has, and he has a pump, and he has to get that pump changed because it's not correct with the way he's eating now. So praise the Lord. So this young man is uh, very depressed. He had been injured. Uh, his one arm is very disabled. He don't want to go anywhere, don't want to do anything. He's starting to drink. And he's telling my husband this, Alice, and my husband says, you can reach him. You tell him. You know the truth. You, you know. So tell him. So Al did, and he called my husband back up. And he said, he's come to church with us. So praise the Lord. So anything else? Well, we want to tell them that Al's wife um, has ordered um, one of uh, 12 of each of the, of the books and the, and digi. the digi pack. And they, they said the other day, so what do we do when our house gets full? And they said, well, you just separate and have another one. So we have Baptists teaching Baptists, Baptists. our message. <laughs> and it happens. Yes. Many of our Homes of Hope um, host homes are not Adventist homes Amen. because it, they came in through friendship evangelism. And so you just ask them, um, you know, we, we have this program. We'd love to, you know, it's about a relationship, mm -hmm. and we'd just love to be able to have you host it for us. And um, there, there was a lady in our church, Bernadine. She was um, she another one of those that was kind of falling through the cracks. She wouldn't come to church um, 
faithfully. Uh, we miss her when she's not there. Uh, she's always got so many excuses that she that doesn't come. And we needed to, she needs the message. She needs to fall in love with Jesus. She needs a conversion. So what we did was um, somebody said, well, Bernadine won't come to a Homes of Hope meeting. And I went, that's all right. We'll just have it in her house. And they said, <laughs> they said, she'll never let you do it. And I said, okay, well, she won't let me, but she'll let Jesus. So we went there and, um, <clears throat> and I was talking to her, just loving her because I love her. We, I love her. And we were just talking and I just told her about this Homes of Hope program that we're having. And <clears throat> I told her all about all the areas that we're having them in. And, and, um, <clears throat> And then I got up and I excused myself. I said, can I use your restroom? And I went in and I knelt down on the floor and I just prayed, Lord God, help me. Um, witness, um, bring this to a place where she will understand and accept what I'm asking her. So I come back out and I said, so the Homes of Hope programs, that's a good idea, isn't it? She goes, oh, that's so nice. I love that program. And I said, Bernadine, there isn't a home in Farwell. And you live in Firewalk. Can we use your house? And she said, absolutely. And so she's at every meeting because she has to be. It's in her home. And so, you know, use manipulation, whatever you need to do. It's good, it's good stuff. But you guys, what, what our sister from Canada said is exactly yeah. right. Is, is we need to, our churches need to be unified. We need to help our church family. If we can't help them, we're not going to be any good to the people, Amen. you know, in our community. They need to see Jesus. They need to fall in love with the Jesus that they see in us. And that unity is going to get, you know, that unity, that relationship with our church family and with Jesus. And um, it's about the body of Christ. Every one of you can do something. Amen. You know, the little finger, the little toe, you know, God says, um, Paul said, he talked about the body of Christ. We've all been given gifts of the spirit. All we need to do is ask for them or just, you know, just try to use them, but try just try to walk around <clears throat> without your little toe. You know, <clears throat> we need to use everybody. Some people can be leaders. Sally was going to <clears throat> no churches. She was between the Clare Church and the Mount Pleasant Church, which is about 20 miles away, apart from each other. She lived kind of right in the middle. And every time I saw Sally, she said, um, I'm doing all the talking. Okay. Go, ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. You're doing a great I'm job. I'm sorry. <clears throat> she said, um, I want to do something for Jesus. And so I took her out and knock on doors occasionally with me when I go and, and do friendship evangelism and do a Bible study. And then she'd always say, I want to do something for Jesus. So this project came up and I'm thinking, she'd be beautiful at doing the speaking part. But she's so shy. And so I just, next time I saw her, I want to do something for Jesus. And I said, good, here's what you're going to do. And I gave her the digipack, and I gave her the scripts, and I said, you lead out in the program at Bernadine's, because she's, and, and, and she's also a nurse, and she could minister to Bernadine. So strategically, you know, you guys, you know your churches, and you know your members, and you know what they're capable of through the power of God. You know, you know their, their personalities and where they could excel, and um, just use it to God's advantage. It's, it's the most marvelous relational program mm -hmm. that we've that we that we've mm -hmm. had and it's uh, it's it using works. it works it's using our whole church is unified and they're soul winners now amen and don't forget about doing the things to to make people friends you know it really means a lot when you come to their house with a loaf of bread or something and say this is for you or one of the groups had a um be, 
around Easter time, yep. made up little baskets, and they had little breads in there and little muffins and all different things. And you've got to remember now, the group as yeah. a team are the Adventists in the community. So they are evangelistic, and they're working together. The you know the community, the Baptists and the Methodists and the Catholics that are yeah. in our homes of hope. They're all evangelistic as a team. They have no idea, you know, <laughs> but they will. Um, we have we have had teams come. People come into a team, and um, before two meetings, you know, where uh, where do you go to church? And, and Howard and Sh Harold and Shirley are going to be baptized yes. because they just love us, loving them. Yes, Harold, Harold and Shirley, I don't think we told, or should we wait? Yeah, let's wait. Yeah, we want to save some for tomorrow. Yeah. Louise is another story you have to hear tomorrow. We, um, our, our Michigan conference has a memo uh, every other month, and, and they featured Homes of Hope this month. Yeah. So we're going to send you all one around. If you don't get one, come tomorrow. And, and because we only have 35, but we'll have all the things that you didn't get today, you can pick them up on the table up here tomorrow, okay? I just hope you can go back and be enthusiastic like they are. You know? <laughs> really enthusiastic, get something done, and, and God, will, God will bless you. And what I've been so impressed with were all the miracles that have taken place. Uh, one was, <clears throat> one they didn't tell, but one lady, when they first started, after going on one of their trips, <clears throat> when uh, uh, they were driving along, and Pam says, well, the car wasn't going the right direction. Did I tell that to you last night? It just wasn't going the right direction. And she says, well, I guess we're going to go to the laundromat. And they end up going to the laundromat, and Pam goes in, and Marcia sits in the car and prays, and inside the laundromat was one lady. And this lady uh, uh, and, ch and Pam began chatting back and forth. And before long, before long, this lady says, well, first of all, she said, what church do you belong to? And they said, Seventh-day Adventist. And she started crying. I don't know why, but she started cry crying. And then the next thing she said, I have been sitting here praying that somebody would come and take me home because I have no place to go. I mean, I have no car, no way to get home. So Pam says, sure, we'll take you home. You know, a loving act. Somebody in need, that's what Homes of Hope is about, helping to meet people's needs. And then next Sabbath, she was in church, and the following Wednesday, she was at Homes of Hope. You know, we got to just love these people. Just love them, no matter who they are, what they look like. And anyway, we've got more. I've got other pictures there, too. So she's going to pass them out. And uh, Wes, it's your time. Okay, la this morning we had been talking about the influence of, of what we think, the influence of attitude and emotion on health, and we had been talking about how the, the idea, the notion that this actually has a far greater influence on our health than many other traditional risk factors. So what I want to share with you this afternoon, as briefly as I can, uh, this this idea of the power of emotion. And this is actually a, the cover of a book written by Dr. Redford Williams and his wife, Dr. Virginia Williams. He was the director of the Behavioral Medicine Center 
at uh, University of North Carolina for many, many years. This book is over 20 years old, but it's an amazing book because Dr. Redford Williams, he had a problem with hostility. And he and his wife teamed up and actually wrote a book on acknowledging that at least 20% of the U.S. population have a serious problem with hostility. But hostility isn't just somebody getting visibly mad at another person. There's other emotional and attitudinal aspects of hostility that are discussed in this book and the research outlined in it. And, and it's a great book because it outlines many, many strategies that we can use to deal with, effectively deal with a natural human tendency towards hostility. And I'd like to suggest to you that really all of us have a problem with hostility. All of us do. And of course, there's a huge continuum. You know, you, you, you have the, the subtle everyday hostilities that many of us are able to hide quite well. And then you have the very overt horrible forms of hostility when somebody's taking another person's life. And we see those on the news. But in, the, in his book, he talks about the different aspects of hostility and that it actually begins with a cynicism, a mistrusting attitude. And I'd like to suggest to you that the reason there's so much dissension and arguing and problems within the church is because of cynicism, because of a mistrusting attitude towards each other. It reminds me of, um, of uh, Paul's great, if you read through the epistles of Paul, he spends most of his time doing what? He spends most of the time saying, I, ple I plead with you. Okay, and to agree with each other in the Lord. I mean, he, he, if you really, most of his books are kind of focused around that theme. Come on, people. Okay, we have, we have Jesus. If we have, why can't we get along if we have Jesus? And, and so it's making it that real practical form of Christianity. Uh, great, great information in this. And, um, and it takes me back to Ephesians, where Paul, in Ephesians 4, is, is something to do with sun. <laughs> but don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Now, this is a very critical psychological principle and healing principle. If you've allowed a day to go by without resolving a conflict in your life, whether it's a conflict with a spouse, a child, a parent, a relative, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor. If you allow a day to go by, that's damaging your health. Do you know that that, that doesn't occur in nature? In nature, stress lasts for an average of one to three minutes, never longer than three minutes. Because within three minutes, whoever is the weakest is now no longer around. Okay? It's just, it's just over with. And so stress in the wild doesn't last very long. And everything kind of goes back to the way it was before. I, I remember um, as I, I've been, I've been uh, working on this book called Goodbye Diabetes that we'll get into eventually here. And uh, we were looking for a 
a imagery to discuss how the immune system goes out of disarray in the inflammatory reactions that drive the diabetic gene. And in that chapter, I, I recounted my very first experience scuba diving in Palau. I'd heard stories about scuba diving in Palau, and I didn't believe them. I, I just I thought they were joking. Uh, where somebody would come back and say, look, here's a picture of me swimming with all these sharks. And I'm going like, is that an aquarium behind you? That's, that's, you can't be in the water with that many sharks. That's, that's just, that, that would be foolish. And so I literally didn't believe it. I thought it was a joke. You know, I, I checked, it was this April, April 1, what is this? Uh, but when I was in Palau and we dove the blue corner, we drifted down 60 feet, grabbed onto the wall. And as soon as, as we're drifting down, all of a sudden I start seeing a whole group of sharks over here. There's about 20 sharks over there. Well, I'm going to stay out of there. And then I look down, there's 20 sharks below me. And I look to my right, and there's 20, 30 sharks over here. And then I realize we're surrounded by sharks. But guess what? They were just all calm, like not paying any attention to this group of divers going down to the reef. And in fact, I had even hooked onto the reef and I had crawled out to the very edge to look down this precipice that just went down to nothingness. And there were sharks just everywhere. And it was just amazing seeing what was happening during the tide change. And somebody was tugging at my fin. And I looked back and a lady that was on our, on our dive tour, she was, you know, she was like motioning me back. So I thought I was doing something wrong. And so I, I moved back away from the edge of the cliff. And, uh, about 20 minutes later, we were back up on the boat, and she says, you don't know why I was tugging on your fin, do you? And I go, no, what, what's going on? She says, there was a shark right above you. In fact, the, the current was going, was going away from us, and so as I, was, as I had pulled myself actually into the current and looking down, a shark had come right behind me and was right on top of me. This is a six-foot shark. It was like, what's this guy looking at? Is there something good to eat down there? And, and of course, I couldn't see it because I was looking down and the, the tank was on top of me. So when I looked back, I looked down. I never did see the shark, but they all could see it. They, was, they were behind me. And, and so but the, 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 the sea life and all the sharks everywhere was just serene. All of a sudden, I heard a rifle shot. I heard it, and of course, you can't really tell underwater where the sound is coming from. So I'm like looking all around. What was that? And, and then I look to my left, and I see this cloud of green dissipating. And I realize what had happened. Underwater, red looks green. At least at 60 feet, it does. And this one, one fish, big old fish, a Napoleon, had, had come close to one of these sharks, and the sharks were, and it smashed all those ribs, and it sounded like a rifle shot. And I, immediately as that, that, the sound of that crunch occurred, all the fish just escaped. And about three seconds later, they're all swimming with the sharks again, like nothing had happened. Okay? So we, 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 need to, we need to understand that there, <laughs> that there are physiologic effects, physiologic effects on our body that have a huge, huge influence. In the wild, everybody goes from stress back to calm within just a very few seconds, but we have an ability as humans to hold on to resentment and bitterness forever. But actually, that makes the quality of our lives significantly depressed. It is a depressing. 
and it sets us up for disease. So let me quickly outline for you. So there's a, the hostility involves cynicism, the mistrusting attitude, okay? anger, the emotion, the thought, the, and the thought of it, and then aggression is the actual behavior. A lot of us think, well, because I didn't say anything, I'm okay. But man, I sure wanted to say something to her or to him, but I'm good. I'm a good Christian because I didn't say it. I zipped up my lip, and I walked away, and maybe I stomped my feet a little bit on the way out, but I did not say anything. Do you think that person knows you were upset? Of course they know you're upset. Do you, think, uh, do you think that makes them irritated because you're irritated? We are now starting an inflammatory reaction. We're starting a feeding frenzy of negative emotion. So somebody in Palau in that serene water where all the sharks are calm threw in some, some bl a bloody bucket. What would happen? Would that be a safe place to be scuba diving? Absolutely not. And so that's what happens when we are in our family environments or in church environments and we, because of our ego, give out the body language of hostility. So we're responsible for what's happening within our families and our churches. Okay, so let, let, me, let me get right to some of the studies. The, the interesting thing about stress and the impact on us physiologically is that just thinking about something negatively, you know, where we're, we're not, it's not just a passing thought. It is now, oh, yeah, hmm. we're contemplating this negative thought. And that has a huge influence on what is happening within, within our, our, our body physiology. And I, I want to make just one point about this. Okay, the blood pressure can have a huge increase just thinking about a stress. How many of you know that? How, anybody who checks their blood pressures on a regular basis, there's, there's no question. You can be thinking about, you can be, you know, just relaxed and thinking about nice things. Blood pressure is going to be much better. As soon as you start thinking about something somebody said to you that you didn't like, there's no question your blood pressure is going to shoot up, okay? Even though you haven't moved a muscle, you haven't done anything but just think about something, your body is is definitely act, reacting to that stressor. Now, uh, uh, oh, maybe about a year ago, I, I, I do a 12-week series on preventing, controlling, and reversing diabetes. People can join it, patients can join it any given week, but it goes 12 weeks. So it's a comprehensive three-month program. Every session is 90 minutes, and, and there's different themes each week. And one of the themes had to do with stress and blood sugar. And so we all know, well, if I eat, if I, if I drink a soda, that's, you know, that we can visualize, yeah, that's going to increase the blood sugar. If I eat a real starchy meal, a whole bunch of pasta or a bunch of bread, yeah, that's going to shoot the blood sugars up. If I eat, if I eat a meal that's, that's inflammatory, that's high in fat and meats, etc., that's going to shoot the blood sugar up. If I drink a diet soda, that's going to shoot the blood sugars up. Why? Because diet sodas are inflammatory. Even though there's no calories, it still increases, increases uh, blood sugar, it increases insulin resistance, and so forth. But um, I had a patient who had type 1 diabetes, and when I first saw her, her blood sugars were running 450 
400. I mean, it was just sky high. She was always out of control. And of course, a type 1 diabetic has no viable ability to produce insulin via their beta cells in their pancreas. By the time somebody with type 1 diabetes is diagnosed, uh, between 95 and 99% of those cells that produce insulin and release insulin are gone. They are wiped out by some toxin or some infectious mechanism or some autoimmune condition. They are destroyed. They're destroyed. So, so typically we say once somebody has type 1 diabetes, they'll need insulin for the rest of their lives. And that's usually what happens. Now, what's interesting is that just this past year at the University of Geneva, the, uh, a physician researcher did an interesting project. He took a group of, of mice and destroyed the beta cells completely. 90, he had proof that 99.9% .9 plus of all the insulin-producing cells of the pancreas, the beta cells, were destroyed by this toxin that he had introduced to these animals. Over the next few weeks, by removing the irritating toxic factor from the equation, and through that time controlling the blood sugars with insulin, it gave the pancreas a, a window of opportunity to actually heal itself. First time this has ever been demonstrated that I'm aware of, that, and he showed that other cells in the pancreas that were still viable, non-insulin producing cells, in this case the alpha cells, they actually over a period of weeks were able to transform themselves into beta cells. They, they basically just re, tr reworked into a different, into a different, oh, um, that means we need power. That's what that means. So, um, so here's the principle. The principle for healing any disease is that in order for us to expect healing, we need to, number one, provide all the necessary elements that the body needs, the building blocks that the body needs for healing. We need to provide those. Number two, we need to eliminate, we need to eliminate all the interfering elements that are causing problems and irritating the system and preventing the natural healing process to occur. So you see, God created within us a natural mechanism that allows healing. That's the way we're created. Our bodies are self-healing mechanisms. So if we pay attention to the principles that, that are necessary to allow this natural process to work, then we should expect healing. We should expect healing. Okay? So that's part of the whole equation. Okay? If we have been brainwashed into thinking that there is no cure, there's no hope, then we're not going to expect healing. And if we don't expect healing, we're certainly not going to be looking for what the mechanisms are that might initiate or allow or enable 
the healing process to occur. So, this is, so, so the, what are the two principles? Number one, we have to provide the healing elements. And, and we can start, there's many things involved there, but certainly the right foods with all the, the literally hundreds of thousands of phyto, plant-based chemicals, we're not even talking vitamins and minerals necessarily, all these other chemicals found in food that have previously not, not been registered in terms of, well, this is vitamin B6 or B12 or vitamin D or whatever it is. These are all the things that literally activate genes turning on the healing process. We are genetically set up to heal. In fact, Dr. Franz Engelfinger, who had been the, the editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, arguably the top medical journal in the world for many, many decades, uh, during his time as editor, he said that, that the body has under its control the ability to heal at least 80 to 90% of all illness, naturally. We just need to understand how the body works, okay, and then provide all the healing nutrients, which it's not just food, by the way. Healing nutrients, in this case, involve the sun, involve all the other things that provide nourishment. And, and what we're really talking about here is that what, the, what we really need, the nourishment we really need is what? More than anything else. What? The bread of life, which is, which is a, relation, a loving relationship with our creator. Okay? And, and we can model the, uh, the availability of that relationship by having a loving relationship with our own family and a loving relationship with our extended family and then our brothers and sisters within our church. If we can't do that, then we're not modeling any value of Christianity to the world outside. Why would they want to come and be part of our dysfunction? Right? I mean, have you ever felt I cannot invite somebody to my church? Because actually they got it more together than we do. Have you ever? I felt that way sometimes. It's, it's a sad commentary. And so that's why we really got to listen to Paul. Because Paul understands what the biggest challenge is. We need to learn to get along. Okay, so... This lady with type 1 diabetes had been coming to the program, and during the stress section, she had learned that, well, stress has a huge influence on blood sugar control. You know, because she, she had been being so careful with what she was eating. She was so careful with her exercise. She was doing everything that we were, that we were focusing on, but she, I'm still having so many problems with my blood sugar. And then she heard this, this, this presentation on stress and blood sugars. And I could see her mouth would kind of drop a few times. She was like, are you kidding me? She had never thought about that connection, that what she was thinking about family members or about friends or coworkers was somehow possibly the greatest danger related to her blood sugar control. A week and a half later, she came to me. I, I just I was walking through the... the um, the building where my clinic is, and she said, you got a minute? And I, I thought to myself, no, but, but, but I always take the time because I, I knew that something, something important was going to be told me. And so she said, let me tell you a quick story. Remember a week and a half ago when you had the presentation on stress and diabetes? And I go, yeah. She said, let me tell you a story. You're going to use this someday. 
and, and she said, I, my daughter had, uh, had come home from school, junior high, young lady in junior high. She'd come home from school. She said, I just checked my blood sugars. And I was so excited because over the last week or so, my blood sugars, instead of being 400-ish like they had been for so long, because of all the things that I was incorporating, with, with this information I've been learning, I, my blood sugars before meals were running right around 100, which is really good. And my blood sugars after meals were running about 130, which is really, really good for a diabetic, especially a type 1 diabetic. And, and so she was just so excited. So she'd been mo carefully monitoring her blood sugars. And right after she checked her blood sugar, it was right around 100. Uh, and this, this now was about four hours after eating. So it's more like a pre-meal blood sugar. Her daughter came home after school, and she said, she said, Mom, something happened at school, and, you know, I got to talk to you. And so she said, what's, what's wrong, honey? And she said, oh, I, I, I don't want to talk about it right now. I said, Plus, I got a softball game, and I'm just going to go take me to the softball game. So on the way to the softball game, the mom's saying, uh, honey, you know, you want to talk now? You know, we got a few minutes before we get to, no, I just, I don't feel good. Can you just, can you just not ask me any questions until, you know, maybe afterwards? So, you know, she thought, okay, and give her some space. Well, during the game, she's thinking, well, what could have gone wrong, right? Any mom would do that. Any dad would do that. What could have gone wrong with my, my daughter who's in eighth grade? She's thinking, and, and then all of a sudden she remembered something. She remembered that two or three days before, a, a, a mother of another uh, girl in the same junior high had called her up and said, I just want to let you know, Mary, that, you know, that there's some talk and that one of, the, one of the younger male teachers at the school is getting a little bit friendly, too friendly with the young ladies, and I just want to let you know so that you can be forewarned. So she had, she had um, tucked that away in the back of her mind, but hadn't really thought much about how that might influence her daughter. So now she's going, oh, no. And so she starts going to all the classmates who are not playing in the game, saying, uh, anything happened at school today? Nobody knew anything. Now, that's not good news when you're suspecting a possibility of abuse, especially sexual abuse, because nobody's going to know that, generally speaking. And so the more people she talks to, the more she's starting to think, oh, no, something bad has happened. And so she's got to wait now for about 45 minutes longer for this game to be over. And as soon as the game is over, her daughter comes up to her and says, Mama, uh, can you take me home, please? And say, honey, you need to tell me what happened at school. And she said, no, I, I don't want, can we just go home first? She says, no, you're going to tell me right now, right now what happened at, at school. And she said, I knew you'd be mad, Mom. She says, I'm not mad at you. She says, I just need you to tell me what's happening. And so, so the mom was starting to get really upset about this. So finally the daughter says, okay, okay, I'll, I'll tell you now. She says, Mom, I, um, I got put on gum club. <laughs> and the mother said, gum club? What's that? She said, I cut chewing gum. I knew you'd be mad. And, and, and the mother says, yes, I'm mad. I'm mad that you made me think that something really bad happened. And all that happened is you got caught chewing gum. When soon as they got home, the mother checked her blood sugars. And her blood sugar was 457. 
This was about an hour after she had had a perfect blood sugar right around 100, and she had nothing to eat in between. So never think that blood sugar problems are primarily because of what we eat. In fact, never think that, that what we eat is primarily about hunger. What we eat and how we eat and when we eat is primarily what's going on right here. Right in, uh, right in our brain, what we're thinking about is what's driving all of this. And if we have unresolved issues, she, uh, this mother had unresolved issues for at most an hour and a half, and it almost destroyed her. Right? Our blood sugars were just completely out of whack. What happens to us if we have unresolved issues for day upon day upon day? For weeks and months and years, we have these unresolved issues which take up the most creative portions of our conscious mind. So now we don't have any room for thinking about what can I do for Jesus? What can I do for my family? Where, where our brains are constantly in turmoil about all these unresolved issues. So we got to get to work and start resolving these issues. That, now that's the hardest thing to do. Right? I, I can't think of anything harder than trying to resolve something that happened weeks or months or years ago. And I'm thinking, man, if I call this person up now, I'm going to feel like an idiot. They're going to say, what? You're calling me about something you did three years ago? Like, what are you thinking? Right? But the reality is we all do that. And so we got to stop. We got to get off our ego pedestal and just say, I would rather look like a fool and feel like a fool than continue to damage my health day in and day out because I'm not willing to humble myself and to say, I'm sorry. What I did was wrong. Or I'm sorry that I've allowed this disagreement between us, whether it's my fault or not, right? I'm sorry that I allowed this to cause such a friction and damage between, between our relationships. And we could, we could literally spend hours. I, I, there's so many interesting experiences I could share with you just from bringing up this in a setting like this. Just by bringing up these stories and these studies in a, in a small group setting, in a health education setting, you, I can see te eyes tearing. I can see people thinking, oh, my. Oh, i got to tell this story. This is another really good story. Um, some years ago on the island of Guam, we were doing what we call, it was our New Start program. It was a six-month intensive. And, and during the first two to three months of the program, we're, we're, we're going through all these different presentations about how do you get your blood sugars under control, your blood pressure, your weight, everything, right? There's so much to talk about. And then about two months into the program, we start bringing in things like this, that our attitudes are actually even more important. Now, during this time, we have one trust, their trust. They have seen, even in the first two weeks, dramatic changes in their health. I mean, reversal of all kinds of problems. And, and so now they know that, hey, what these guys are talking about, there's something to this. This is really working. We've seen the labs We've seen the changes objectively within our, within our lab tests and, our, and how we feel and so forth. And so now you start broaching these topics that are much 
riskier to address with groups or with individuals because it involves deep felt emotions and bitterness that most people, unless you've developed a relationship with them, unless you've developed their trust, they're going to walk out and never come back. You don't, you don't talk about issues like this in, uh, on, on that level without building their trust first. And, and so, uh, so let me finish that story, but first I want to I go do a couple studies. So it was, it was, a, it was a, one of the ladies in our group who had lowered her cholesterol dramatically, improved her health in many ways, but there was an unresolved issue in her life that was actually hurting her health more than anything that she had been doing so far. First, these studies. Okay. Uh, Diabetes Care, which, which is the, the medical journal that is kind of the journal for diabetes management. Okay. It's called Diabetes Care. Uh, it's, uh, so all the diabetes experts write for this Diabetes Care journal. So they found that, that even non-diabetics had a higher blood sugar if they tested higher on feelings of hostility. Okay, this isn't just something that gets that stress and, and bitterness and hostility and anxiety. Those aren't just things that cause a disruption in blood sugar metabolism if you're diabetic. It causes a disruption for everybody, whether you're diabetic or not. And so it's important to note that, and I always say this in, in my seminars, everybody, well, let me, let me rephrase that. Just about everybody has a blood sugar problem. Just about everybody has a blood sugar problem. And part of that reason is because of the acute and chronic effects of stress on our health and the effects of our diet on our health and, and exercise and so forth. Um, just having a low vitamin D level is going to increase your blood sugars. And guess how many people have low vitamin D levels? Pretty much everybody. Okay, so if you haven't checked your vitamin D, just assume it's low. Okay, but don't stop there. Get it tested so you know where it's at. You know where it's at. I had a, I had a patient just last week who came in to me, and usually the rule is the lighter somebody's skin, the higher the vitamin D level. Why? Why? Because, because darker skin protects the body against ultraviolet radiation. Okay? It's protective. And so the, the lighter the skin, more of that radiation gets through and converts the cholesterol in the skin to vitamin D. And over time, that gets absorbed into the blood and vitamin D levels go up. So, so generally speaking, the, the, uh, as, as the... the, the the color of the skin gets slightly darker little by little. The overall, on average, vitamin D level keeps dropping. Okay, so Hispanics have a lower vitamin D level than Caucasians, and, and, uh, and uh, blacks have a much lower vitamin D level, on average, than, than, than Hispanics. Okay, it's just study like that. By the way, that, in my opinion, is, one, is the biggest disparity health-wise, between blacks and whites. Did you hear what I said? Okay. In other words, it's something that we can easily control. 
okay? And, and, and so, so individuals with darker skin spent many, many generations, their forefathers spent many, many generations in an environment, okay, where you had plenty of vitamin D because you're outside, lots of vitamin D in those equatorial regions, right? But as soon as we move from the environment where we're getting lots of sunlight to an environment like New York City, you know, which right now has no vitamin D for about, what, four or five months? No vitamin D at all. Vitamin D levels are going to plummet. And so you would expect the rates of colon cancer, breast cancer, prostate cancer, all kinds of other cancers, diabetes, extra, to just go up significantly. And that's, that's in, in fact, what happens. Okay? So that's why it's such an important test to have evaluated and then managed effectively, aggressively. Okay. So, um, another study here says so just temper, uh, having a, a, quote, reactor syndrome temper dramatically influences heart disease. Big study out of circulation showed that people becoming angry, furious, or enraged doubles the risk of having a heart attack in the following two hours. Our emotions have an acute effect because of the catecholamine release, the adrenaline release, the cortisol release. That dramatically increases the tendency of plaque rupturing and causing an acute coronary event. Okay, so we know the acute side is well established. But there's a more insidious effect, okay, in the sources of anger. Oh, let's hear it. The sources of anger... Family arguments, conflicts of work, and legal problems, and church members. No, they didn't say that. <laughs> okay, but we certainly would want to add that. That's part of our family, right? Yeah. So we can't get, if we can't get along with family, we're not going to get along with our church members. Right? Key, key import. Is it? Okay, so it's time. Where is the sheet that was being passed okay. around? Okay. Be sure and sign it, everyone. And when we continue, we're going to be looking at the doctors and lawyers' study on hostility. It's very, very insightful information. So let's take advantage of the programs coming up and hear the Surgeon General. God bless. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.